0: So today's Bible study is going to be a challenge for us as we look into the book of Titus. We're going to be studying chapter 1. I know for me, uh, going through this is a, has been a challenge. The Holy Spirit exhorted and convicted me going through this. And so I'm going to ask a question. It sounds like a little bit of a strange question, but who likes the mirror? Right? Do you like the mirror? Right? Some, some of us, I see some heads shaking No. Some of you that are probably under 30 are like, yeah, bro, I love the mirror. It shows me everything I've got. But some of us, we've passed that point, and the mirror's no longer our friend. Right? Uh, if we hate to look into it sometimes because it's a reminder of what's really there. Right? I'm, when I go to look in the mirror, I'm fatter than I once was. I'm older than what I want to remember. Uh, I, I've got salt and pepper beard. Right? I've got bags under the eyes. These things didn't used to be there. I, and when I go to look into the mirror, I, I expect to see the same strapping young man that was once there. But he's there no longer. I'm glad my wife picked me way back then because I might not be so pickable now. That, at that time, I had hair. Right? I My wife says I was false advertising. Right? <clears throat> there There was muscles, right? There was this again. This beard wasn't all salt and peppery, but God's word is much like that. And when we look into God's word, we're reminded that we are not always the hot stuff that we think we are. And for some of us, we look in the mirror, and it's refreshing because we recognize that I'm not what I used to be, but I'm not I'm, I'm not what I want to be, but I'm not what I used to be. Right, and then. For others, it's really disheartening when we look into the mirror of God's Word because we realize, I used to be here, but now I'm here. And then for others of us, the mirror, as we look into it, it's so foggy, we can't even make anything out. We don't know where we stand. And so no matter where you're at in your spiritual walk, we have to continue to continue to let and continue to allow God's Word to shine upon our hearts to show us the true condition of what's really there, right? And so this this letter that uh, Paul writes to Titus is going to give us a spiritual mirror to look into. It's initially for those who are overseeing ministry, but then for the whole church. So if if you're not a ministry overseer, a ministry leader, don't tune out because there's something here for each one of us. And so the outline today for Titus, Chapter 1 breaks down like this. We have an introduction, verses 1 through 4. We learn who the author is, who he's writing to, and his greeting generally. Uh, Number 2, we have a purpose statement in verse 5, why the letter was written. Uh, Number 3, our pastoral qualifications, verses 6 through 9. And then the fourth part of the outline, the pastor's challenge, verses 10 through 16. And so let's. Open up and look at verse one. So it says, Paul, a bond servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me, according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus a true son in our common faith grace mercy and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our savior and so as we look at this who's writing who's writing the letter Paul right good so who is Paul we will know by studying the scripture that his name was formerly Saul he was a pharisee Uh, He was a very proud man. Um, He was leading a charge of rounding up Christians so they could be jailed and ultimately killed. And then on his way to Damascus, he met Jesus. And he was knocked off of his high horse. His life was changed forever. This man who was so proud, who didn't need anything, was now referring to himself as a bondservant. And so I want to look real quickly at, flip back with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. It says, Then Saul, that's our guy Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, any who were Christians, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And then he gets, he meets Jesus. And Jesus asks him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he goes, well, who are you? And Jesus tells him, it's, it's I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard to. For you to kick against the goads. This man was blinded for a time as a result of this. He was led. This man who was so proud and on his way to hunt people down had to be physically led into Damascus because he couldn't see. And then the Lord comes to another man named Ananias and tells him, I want you to go over to Damascus. There's this guy named Saul. That I want you to pray for that he will receive the Holy Spirit. And, and Ananias is like, um, God, you know who this guy is? <laughs> like, he's the Christian killer, and you want me to go over there and talk to him? And then Je- Jesus says to him, verse 15, Go, this is uh, saying this of Paul, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So this once proud man, you can go back to Titus, this once proud man who didn't need anything from anybody, he's now referring to himself as a bondservant. Without getting too deep into it, the Greek understanding of bondservant is a purchased slave. One who's been purchased for a price. And, And Paul recognized it. My Lord Jesus purchased me. For a price. He gave his life for me. Now I'm gonna give my life back to him as a servant, a bond servant. The Hebrew meaning of the word bond servant, going back to the Old Testament, had to do with being a willing slave. So when there was a slave in a household and he had a chance for freedom, if he loved his master, he could go And he could say, I love my master and everything that he's done for me. I want to stay here for the rest of my life. And they became a bond servant. They had an ear piercing ceremony. He had to wear an earring in his ear that would designate him as a bond servant. So no matter how you choose to look at it, I'm a willing slave of Jesus or I've been purchased for a price. So now I belong to him. It both fits the context. This is Paul now. That's a huge change in personality. Former Pharisee proud as I think it's in uh, Philippians that he gives uh, an account of all of his accolades it's like his trophy case and he had a lot to boast about as a religious leader but as a believer in Jesus he knew that everything was equal at the foot of the cross there there is no boasting because my life is now hidden in Christ and so here he is a bond servant of God and let me ask you a question this morning. And Remember, I talked about the mirror. So we're going to get out our, our spiritual mirrors and we're going to take a look inside for a minute. Are you, and I ask myself these questions too, so I'm not just like pointing fingers, but are you a prideful monster like Saul? Pride is a huge problem in our culture. It's been a huge problem since... The first sin, it revolved around pride. Satan was kicked out of heaven with a third of the angels because of pride. The problem with with Sodom and Gomorrah was pride. The problem that so many people have today, why they can't surrender their life to Jesus, is because of pride. So are you a prideful monster as you look in that mirror? Look at the life of Paul or Saul. If Jesus can change him, he can change you. And so, He'll change you from the inside out. He'll make you something completely new. The Bible says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. But there's only one way to do that. Number one, give your life to Jesus. Number two, you've got to be a bondservant yourself. You've got to spend that time with the Lord. Spend time in the Word. Spend time in prayer. Hear what He says to you. And so, notice he says, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Apostle just simply means one who is sent out. So he was sent out by Jesus. We saw it in Acts to be a minister to the Gentiles, knowing that he was going to suffer many things. And he says, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. So the faith, when he says he he is according to the faith or he's in line with the faith, there is only one faith. There can't be more than one. Not all roads lead to God. Right? Thinking happy thoughts, doing good things, having good intentions will not lead to eternal life. Only one road does and Jesus said of that road, it's, it's a road of discipleship. Follow me, he said. Following closely to Jesus is the only way to get to heaven, right? So it's the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement. There has to be a recognition that this is the right way. This is the truth. And so again, another question, what is truth? Remember, Pilate asked that. What is truth? That was a question they were asking 2,000 years ago. It's a question that many people are asking today. It's a sad state of affairs, but there's many quote-unquote famous Christians. I don't even know if that should be a term. But, But there's famous Christians who are having deconversion stories all over the place. If you don't know what a deconversion story is, it means that they were once walking with the with the Lord and now they're renouncing Him and saying, I'm no longer a Christian and they're, they're going this way. And I don't believe that you can lose your salvation, but I think you can walk away from it. If you don't want Jesus, He's going to let you go. But if you want Him, you can't lose it. You're safe. You're in His hand and He's in the Father's hand. No one can pluck you out, is what He said. So what is truth? Well, truth equals Jesus. Do you want to know the truth? I mean, think about it. In in all things, do you want to know the truth? I do. I don't want anybody to lie to me. I don't want to be deceived. That's one of the things that people who come from cults or false religious groups or uh, why they struggle so badly with, with these things is because they have been lied to for their whole life, and now they're in a position where they're like, I'm not sure I know what to believe. Everything I believed I found out was a lie. Now I'm struggling to know what to believe. And so there's, there's questions, and they question everything. And let me just say this, because I know we live in a place where there's our friends down the street who don't believe exactly the same way that we do. And if you come from that background or if you're here, it's, it's okay to ask questions. It's even okay to have doubts. It's, it's what you do with the doubts and the questions that make the difference. My, what I would encourage you to do is bring them to Jesus. John the Baptist is a great example of this. right? Remember, this is the guy that Jesus said he's the greatest of all the prophets. And yet he went to jail for calling sin sin, he gets locked up, and while he's in lockup, he begins to have some doubts: Is Jesus really the Messiah, or is there somebody else that I should be looking to? And John sends some of his friends over to Jesus and says, "Hey, are you the guy, or are you just the cry? Are you the the one that's just there yelling in the wilderness? And like, did I miss something here?" And Jesus says to them, you go back and you tell John that the blind are seeing, that the dead are being raised, that the lame are walking, lepers are being healed, all things that the Messiah is to do. And then they go back and they tell John, and that was enough. That answered his question. It was a a soft rebuke from the Lord, but he got his question answered. And so again, if you have questions, don't depart from the faith. Ask the questions. If you come to me, if you come to Pastor Chris, if you come to anybody else, any other pastor or leader with a genuine question, number one, we should point you back to the Word of God and Jesus. But if we say don't ask questions, you don't have enough faith, just run, go the other way. That's not biblical. The Jesus that I know is big enough to handle my questions. He's big enough to handle yours too. If He's not, then we're all serving the wrong God anyway. And so, just as an aside, I recommend uh, alwaysbeready.com. It's it's a website by a pastor named Charlie Campbell. He's a fantastic guy. I've met him a number of times, and he has awesome content on his website. If you want to know why you can believe the Bible, if you want to know why there is only one way, or you want to know what some of the groups that sound like they're saying the right things, why they're really not saying the right things. He's got great content on there. ready. dot alwaysbeready.com, right? And so the Bible is true. Brian, um, can you put up that slide? Brian's not in there. I looked up and I don't see Brian. Uh, uh, Can you put up that slide that I gave him? So this is an acronym that that can help you Just have a quick understanding of why we can believe the Bible is true, right? So get out your phones, take a picture of it if you need to. Uh, It's FACES is the acronym. Fulfilled Prophecy, Archaeology, Consistency or Internal Consistency, Extra Biblical Resources, and then Scientific Accuracy and Foresight. So if you go and research those things, those are things that will help you to know and to believe that the Bible is true, to deepen your faith. All right? The truth that he says in verse one, which accords with godliness. And this is an interesting if you have if you have a King James Version, it has a different word than accords in there. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, but it accords with godliness or and if we look at that word accords, we think it's in line with, and that's true. But that's not the entire definition or the meaning of that word. It's not just being in line with, but it, the idea is that it's it's moving towards godliness in an active way, right? So he's saying the faith of God's elect, the acknowledgment of the truth, which moves towards godliness, right? So if we get out the mirror again, get out that old mirror, and we put it up. And we look into it, are my life, my actions, my words, my free time, my television watching, my music listening, etc. Are they in line with godliness? If it's not, then maybe there's time. We need to do a little bit of a reset. We need to, to look into the mirror and say, God, am I going wrong somewhere? That's the most important question that we need to ask ourselves. Is Am I right with Jesus? Right? If you read through the little postcard of 1 John, it gives us a number of questions in there for us to know that we're in line with the Lord. We're in line with godliness. We're moving towards godliness. It's, it's not important to be culturally relevant. It's important to be holy. So, as you, again, as you look into that mirror, is your life lining up, right? It's not, we don't want to line up with being part of the woke culture. We don't want to line up with political correctness or cultural awareness. But is my life in line with godliness? Knowledge of godliness comes from being awake in the Spirit. And that happens through being born again. Turn over to John chapter 3, verse 3. It says, Jesus answered and said to him, he's speaking to Nicodemus, and it says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. We have to be born again. Don't be freaked out by the term. Nicodemus was a little freaked out by the term. What do you mean, I got to climb back in the belly and get born again? That's going to be rough.
1: Jesus
0: says, no, born of water once. Natural birth, the water breaks, baby's born. And they're born of the spirit, which is something supernatural. Jesus says in verse eight of John three, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes, so is everyone who's born of the spirit. It's a supernatural work of God. And it's so simple that we make that we miss it sometimes. Like how can it really be so simple as just asking Jesus to take over my life? And to forgive me for my sins and then I'm born again? Yes, that's it. You're born again. And the Bible says that when you are born again that the Holy Spirit then comes and He takes up residence inside your life and He is now living inside of you. He won't come and possess you and make you freak out and gyrate on the stage and roll in the aisles and bark like a dog or slay people in the Spirit knocking them out or talk loud when you preach. That's not evidence fruit of the Holy Spirit. Jesus gives us a perfect example of what it looks like to have a life lived in the Spirit. It says in Luke's Gospel that Jesus was filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, and empowered by the Spirit. And then if you look at the life of Jesus, I don't see any of those freakish things that are attributed to the Holy Spirit. Look like Jesus. That's it. Model Him. Right. Oftentimes, you know how like when kids are little, they want to like model their mom or their dad. Right. You know, I, I didn't have any boys. Hopefully we're having grandsons someday Four daughters. I at least got to get one. Right. <clears throat> but but my kids, even when they were little, I'd come home, I'd take my work boots off and they want to put the work boots on. They want to be like dad. let say. be like dad. Be like your heavenly father. Look to him. Be like him. Copy Jesus. It's okay. No one's going to no make fun of you because you're wearing the same outfit. Well, maybe if you have a, a robe and some Jerusalem cruisers. But. but so I would ask again, at this time, when you're born again, the Holy Spirit, or I'd say again, the Holy Spirit comes, He takes up residence in your life. It is then that you become awake to spiritual things. The Bible then begins to make sense to you. As you read through it, your life becomes changed because the Spirit of God is working in your life. And so Paul goes on to say, the, hope, the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie, isn't that great? God is always honest with you. Sometimes we don't know if our boss is honest. We don't know if our kids are always honest. We don't know if our spouse is always honest. If you're a kid, sometimes you don't know if your parents are always honest. But you can always be sure that God is honest with you. His word is telling you the truth. Jesus said that he is the way, the what? Truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So if someone says there's another way to get to heaven, liar! Because Jesus said there's no other way. So you become awake in the spirit, but then you have this hope of eternal life. And so uh, hope defined is the absolute expectation of coming good. What better hope than they, can there be? Right? Heaven is going to be rad. I can't wait to see what God has in store. Right? It's not just going to be us like with a harp sitting on a cloud looking like a fat little cherub. For all eternity. And it's probably enough if we were to know that we could just sit around that the throne, like in the scene in Isaiah, where we say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That that would be enough as we, we hear the walls of and the pillars of heaven shaking because the worship is so loud. That would be enough. It's more than we deserve. But not only that, if you read Revelation, it's not just heaven, but there's going to be a new earth. What are the possibilities on the new earth? I'm stealing from Charlie Campbell, one of his Bible studies that he did. He has an amazing one on the new heaven and the new earth. But he opened my, like my mind went, when I was like, I never really thought about the new earth. How great is our earth right now in a fallen condition? You can go snowboard. If you live in Southern California, like I did growing up, you can surf. Go ride motorcycles in the desert and go snowboard all in the same day. I mean, like our Earth is great, Hawaii, places like that—they're so beautiful. But then there's like mosquitoes, right? Imagine all of the things that we know without sin interfering. It's—I mean—and we we don't have like a curfew. There's not going to be any crime heaven's going to be awesome we're going to know even as we are known there's not going to be no strangers in heaven there's not going to be no language or cultural barriers it's going to be the language of heaven imagine going on a like like a river rafting expedition with Jesus as your guide (laughs) so cool ponder this if you will Adam right think about Adam if adam had not sinned if there had been no sin in the garden nobody since sin had sinned we're talking adam would be like 7000 years old right now we can't even wrap our, our minds around some of of us older saints like we'd be like babies in comparison to adam so who is he writing to right so let, let's finish this little section so in hope of eternal life which god cannot lie promised before time began Eternal life is a promise of God. God doesn't lie. You can bank on it. And, and, but has in due time manifested or made known his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. And he's writing to who? Titus, Titus a true son in our common faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. So he's writing to Titus. Titus, we find this guy throughout the New Testament. You can find quite a bit about him in 2 Corinthians, Galatians, and in 2 Timothy he's mentioned. He's called a comforter. He's called a refresher. He brought refreshment. He's known to be trustworthy. He was entrusted with a monetary gift to deliver it. Paul calls him his partner and fellow worker. Paul says of him, that he's of the same spirit and walk towards the people that Paul had. He was Greek by birth. There was an issue that you can read about in Galatians uh, about circumcision that came up with Titus because he had not been circumcised as a Greek. It's inferred through these different passages that Titus was willing and available. He was sent to Corinth and stayed there. He traveled and ministered with Paul. Paul left him in Crete and then he likely church-planted in Dalmatia. You know, the church with the 101 dogs. No, I'm just kidding. Dalmatia is like modern-day Bosnia. used to be Yugoslavia. So he went church-planting in that area. And so this is a faithful guy. A servant of the Lord. It says in Corinthians that it's required of a steward that he be found faithful. You want to be used by God, number one, show up. Number two, be faithful if you're given something. It could be something small. But oftentimes you have to be like David. You have to take the the ten cheeses out to your brothers before you get a chance to slay the giant. If he said, no, Dad, I'm the anointed king. I'm just going to stay here and kick back You go ahead and take the cheeses. We wouldn't have David and Goliath. So be faithful, be willing. And so he says, grace, mercy, and peace. What is grace, folks? What is grace? Yeah, it's undeserved, unmerited favor. It's an easy understanding. It's getting something that you don't deserve. You've been a bad boy, but mom still gave you a cookie anyway because she loved you. Mercy. What is mercy? Exactly. It's not getting what you deserve. We deserve hell. We deserve the punishment that Jesus took, but instead we don't get what we deserve. The Bible says that of God that his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. So you can screw up royally today and say, Lord forgive me, we wake up in the morning, it's a new day. Actually, it's a new day the the second your heart says, I'm sorry, forgive me. His mercies are new every morning. I don't know, if you're like me, you've screwed up royally a number of times. And then peace. He adds one to this. Grace, mercy, and peace. And we can have peace with God, and we can have the peace of God. And where does this come from? It comes from God our Father through the person of Jesus Christ And it's it's given to us internally by the Holy Spirit. Salvation begins and ends with God. Apart from Him, we all perish. Apart from Him, there is no hope. And I find it funny that we we like to make it about us so often. We want to make salvation about us. I Uh, I've been reading my Bible this week. I've been doing this. I've been doing that. Surely I'm okay with God. No, it's not about you. It's about Him and what He's already done and what He's done for you. So Paul tells him, his reason for writing is this, for this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. So there's already churches there in Crete, whether or not Paul planted them, we don't know. So you say, where did the churches in Crete come from? Well, you can mark a note in your Bible to go back to Acts chapter two, verses five through 11, when they begin speaking in tongues on the day of Pentecost. And it says there's people from every nations and Crete is one of the places listed. Cretans were there. And so there's a large population there at this time there was a population that was steeped in greek mythology and roman culture there was sexual immorality dishonesty and a messed up understanding of god and salvation that's why it was necessary for paul or for titus to be left there to set things in order and to appoint elders because they needed leadership so Titus gets left there to set these things in order. And if that is the need, it infers that there were things out of order. We see in a few verses, uh, we'll see in a few verses just some of the things that were out of order. right? Titus, this is a guy that's got to have some tough, thick skin. He, Paul puts him in a tough place. Right? Remember, Paul left Timothy in Ephesus. And Ephesus was not an easy place either. But Timothy was a little more timid Timmy, right? He he Paul tells him to uh, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. Maybe he was nervous. He says, "God's not given us a spirit of fear, son, but of power, love and of a sound mind. Buck up, Timothy, and do what I've left you there for." But Titus, he just says, Get, "Go there and do it." Right? And then he gives him some instructions. And I kind of like that about Titus. He's He's got thick skin, and you know, it's it's been said that if you're involved in ministry, that you need to have thick skin, thick, what, what's it like, thick seal skin or something like that, because the water, so it just rolls off your back. Yeah. Maybe duck, I don't know. Yeah, but, but this is the guy. He's being left here to set these things in order to appoint elders. And when we see the word elder, in a minute we're going to see the word bishop, and these terms... In the New Testament are used interchangeably for elder, bishop, they mean overseer, uh, pastor, that type of thing. And so we're going to start looking at these qualifications. It says, If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination... For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So as we look at these qualifications for elders, I don't, want you to tune out because not everybody here is an elder or a bishop or an overseer of a ministry. However, if we are to get out our mirror again and look into our mirror, we can see how these things apply to us. Each one of these qualities looks like Jesus and should be the overflow of a life filled with the spirit. And he says to be blameless. First thing, don't don't interpret that for being sinless. Because if any pastor, if any Christian tells you that they're sinless, 1 John says, liar. Because the Bible says that all have sinned. And we're going to continue to sin, but it's that continual grace of God that allows us to can come back under the flow and to have our sins continually washed during the long sanctification process. But the idea here is not sinless, but that when, not if, but when accusations come against you, then nothing will stick. Right, you guys ever play with, like seen those things like where people wear a Velcro suit, and then like you can throw a ball that sticks to the Velcro? It's the opposite of that. It'd be like a ball that doesn't stick to that Velcro and just bounces off. Accusations are gonna fly. If you're walking with the Lord you're living out your faith on a day-to-day basis. Accusations are going to come. People are going to watch you like a hawk. And you can be great and do good at work for like 364 days out of the year. And that one day when you yelled at a customer, they're like, ha! Got you! That's, that's part, of, part of our Christianity is sin and growing more and more of Christ, in Christ-likeness. But the idea is that there's a real accusation that that pastor's involved in this or he's ripping off the church or some of the things that are, that people in leadership get accused of. That when that's investigated, it bounces off. It doesn't stick. There's nothing to make that. That's blameless. The husband of one wife, that doesn't mean that he can't be single and that doesn't mean that he can't be like a widower and remarry. But polygamy, not allowed. Okay. Or the uh, another idea maybe is a one-woman man. My, the eyes aren't scanning the room for every chick that walks through, but my eyes are for you only, baby.
1: <laughs>
0: That's my wife, if you don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: but having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination... Uh, So faithful children, notice it says, it doesn't say faithful adults, okay? And I say that because at some point, your kids, my kids, they go out on their own and they're responsible for their own walk with the Lord. But while they're children, while they're in my house, under my roof, we are going to train you up in the ways of the Lord. We are going to go to church. That has been a non-negotiable in our house, whether they liked it or not. We have... Bible studies at home. We have had, and it's never been perfect, but we've had devotional times at home. But we didn't sit down with my like three-year-olds, and they're all pretty close in age, but I didn't sit down with them and go like, well, let's open up Titus and do a verse-by-verse, line-upon-line study. You know what we did? We made it fun. We got out Barbie dolls. We had lots of them with four girls, right? Well, we got Barbie dolls, and I, there was like a lack of Ken dolls, so it's kind of hard to make some of the men characters, but, but we'd pick a passage, and then we would act it out with the Barbie dolls. It was fun. They loved it. They still talk about it. I think secretly they still want to do that. But, so here's why this applies to all of us guys, men. You are the elder, the bishop, the pastor of your home. There is, there's nobody else who is responsible for the spiritual health of your family than you, men. So if you're lacking in something, get yourself in gear. Get close to Jesus and train up your family. Now, ladies, that doesn't mean you're off the hook. Because if you have a husband that refuses to do that or dad's AWOL not around, it's still your responsibility to train up your kids in the ways of the Lord. There's great examples of godly women who train their children in the way of the Lord. So then he says here in verse 7, a bishop, again, overseer, must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not, there's all these nots, not violent, not greedy for money, right? Blameless as a steward of God. Well, how do you do that? Read the list. He just gave it to you. Not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. It's it's having a shepherd mentality. Uh, look at with me at John chapter ten. This is Jesus speaking. John chapter ten verse eleven. It says, "I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep." But a hireling is he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Have a shepherd mentality. If you're going somewhere, if there's a ministry that's all about money, that's all about what the pastor can get, or what the leadership gets, send in your money now, or God's going to go broke. Just leave, because they probably need to go broke. Having that shepherd mentality, caring more about the people than yourself, that's Jesus-like. And then he says, he gives, he says here that not self-will. That's self-explanatory. Not quick-tempered, and you think, "Uh-oh." I know. I think, "Uh-oh," this convicts me like to the heart, because I I have an issue personally. Like anger is one of my biggest things that I struggle with, having a quick temper. But this is the idea of always being ready to go. Right? I I struggle with my my temper and anger, especially in traffic. Yes. When my kids are running late every week. Yes. yes i threw you under the bus
1: <clears throat>
0: but but the idea here is that you're ready to brawl like every every drop of the hat you're going to fight somebody like all the time quick tempered and uh, you guys know people like that not given to wine and i would just say for church leadership not drinking at all because you ha- are held to a higher standard if you have a glass of wine with your family or something like that uh and you're part of the the, you we'll say the laity of the church, No, you're not going to hell because you had a glass of wine. And I'm not endorsing that either. The Bible really has not a whole lot good to say about alcohol. As a former police officer, I don't have anything good to say about alcohol because I've seen the, de- the deadly and the devastating consequences it does in people's lives. However, for a leader in a church, alcohol should be non-existent in your life. You say, why? Well, it was good enough for Jesus. That's good enough for me. He said he's not going to partake again until the kingdom. It's also, you're on duty as a leader in the church 24-7, right? Somebody calls me after I've thrown back a couple beers and says, oh, my my so-and-so was just in a car accident. Can you come down to the hospital? Now I'm on my way to the hospital, and guess who gets pulled over? Oh, shoot, now the pastor went to jail on his way to go pray with somebody at the hospital. Or somebody who's an alcoholic calls me up, and says, hey, I'm really struggling. Can you come and pray with me? And i got alcohol on my breath. I just caused him to stumble. Again, if we're having that, as a leader, if we're having that that shepherd mentality, it's not about me. It's about them. It's about loving you more than my own rights or my own desires or whatever. And so... He says, not given to wine, not quick tempered, not violent. And the King James uses the word striker. It literally means like you can't go around hitting people because they're not obeying God's word. <laughs> not greedy for money. How many ministries would fail if we took money out of it? A lot of ministries would go down. How many people would quit the ministry if they just said no more money for being a pastor? There'd be a lot of empty churches. But instead, what do you do? Hospitable. You got to be this literally translated as like a a lover of strangers. You got to be a lover of people. A lover of what is good. Again, if we get our mirror out, do we love things that are good? Could be anything. Movie, music, God's Word, books. Do we love things that are good? Sober-minded. That means like clear-minded. Just. Holy. Self-controlled. Verse 9. Holding fast the faithful Word as He has been taught. That He may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Holding fast. The faithful word. That word, it literally means it's like to cling to and give attention to. Like you know that that glade cling wrap that you you wrap your plate with like so you can put it in the fridge or whatever and then you have to fight with it to get it off because it clings to it. Like that. Cling to Jesus. Give attention to your walk with Him. Give attention to The word of God. Then he says, why? Verse 10, for there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. This is happening in the church. Whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain, one of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth to the pure. All things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God But in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, disqualified for every good work. So he says there's many insubordinate and idle talkers and deceivers. These are not shepherds. These are hirelings. These are the ones who are in it for the money. They don't care about the people that they hurt in the wake that they leave behind them. Uh, This is the, the Judaizers who... Uh, came in everywhere Paul went. It's like Paul planted a church and then here came the Judaizers to say that it's not enough just to ask Jesus in, into your life and to follow Him, but you also have to follow all the Jewish rituals. If anybody tells you that there's grace plus anything, get away. Grace plus grunt is not grace. It is by grace that we are saved through faith, not of works. It is a gift of God. If you have to work for a gift, it's not a gift, it's income. And he says, idle talkers, deceivers, right? You ever know anyone that just kind of talk, 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 Blah, blah 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 blah. Charlie Brown's teacher. Blah, 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 blah. Deceivers, liars, and then he says, especially. So there wasn't just the Judaizers, but especially them of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped. Why must we stop their mouths? Because they subvert households. They they confuse people. They turn. What was a, a thing of rejoicing? Yes, I'm saved by grace. Jesus loves me. This I know. That's all I know, but Jesus loves me. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Oh, well, did you get circumcised? Have you washed your hands before you've eaten? Like, I mean, this is what was happening. And then they're just like, joy sucks, right? They just suck the joy right out. And he says, their mouths may be stopped because they subvert household, teaching things which they ought not. And then here's the caveat. This is how you know that they're they're not a shepherd, but they're in it for the money because for the sake of, as the King James says, I love so much filthy lucre. For money, dishonest gain. That's all they want is your money. Teaching things which they ought not. And by the way, when we stop mouths, that's not like, like we can stop mouths by just using the Word of God. We don't have to like slap people. We don't have to yell at them. We don't have to get louder and have an argument. We just go to the Word of God. So then one of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Paul's quoting a guy named Epimenides here. And this is what he He was a Cretan. And he says about the Cretans or the Cretans that they're always liars, evil beasts. And he said that that's true... Well, rebuke them sharply, why that they might be sound in the faith. He says, literally, it's curtly and abruptly stop that, so that they might be sound in the faith, right? Not giving heed to Jewish fables and the commandments of men who turn from the truth. That's that's why he was giving these instructions because it causes people to turn, right? The testimony is true. But we don't get, as, as New Testament born-again believers, we don't get to claim our upbringing or our culture or stereotypes about our culture to get away with how we act. Because the Bible says if you're in Christ, you become a new creation. I can't say it's my Irish temper that made me do it. Can't even blame the devil anymore. It's just me, myself, and I. The commandments of men, they turn from the truth. And why do we do it? Why do we turn so easily from the truth? Yeah, sin. Sometimes it's just easy. It sounds good. And in verse 15, to the pure, all things are pure. Isn't that great? When you ever meet somebody that just has such a pure mind, that when you say something, they just... Or they say something, and you're like, uh, do you know what you just said? And they're like, huh? To the pure, all things are pure. I used to get upset with my older kids when my, my youngest one would say something and they're like, hey. and that, "Like she had no idea what she said, so just be quiet. Let her be pure. The Bible says, uh, be wise according to what is good and be ignorant concerning evil. But they're those who do that to the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. They twist everything out of context, everything. Those people who like there's a double entendre for everything, there's like a dual meaning. You say something like, Oh, what do you really mean? Right? Those those people. But even their mind and their conscience are defiled, and that literally it means to be stained or polluted. They profess to know God. But in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, disqualified for every good work. James said, even the demons believe and tremble. It's not enough to believe or to profess God, but what does your life look like? Right? So again, if you, uh, Jesus said, you will know them by their root. Yeah, and it, So if you get out the mirror and you take an honest look in that mirror that we've been talking about, and you say, what does my life look like? I profess to know God. What do the fruits of my life say? Does it betray me and say, oh, maybe I'm abominable? Or, yes, I am moving in the right direction. Right? then Paul says here in chapter 2, as it begins, it said, But as for you... You're going to have to read ahead because that's for Chris next week. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is a, it does look right into our hearts. And it is a, a mirror that shines there. And it helps us to recognize where we are going wrong. And as we said earlier, you're also good at giving us an attaboy. Telling us where we're doing good. Encouraging us to keep going. Thank you that you are a God who can handle our questions. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the good shepherd. That you laid down your life for the sheep. Thank you that you are alive and that you are ruling and reigning in heaven. And while we're living in this crazy world, much like the culture of the Cretans, where there's dishonesty and sexual immorality and all kinds of evil things out there that people just get so disheartened, I pray that we would set our own lives in order. We would put you on the throne and look to you and just allow you to rule and reign in our hearts. And this morning while we're here, maybe you've been impacted by the word. Maybe there's, uh, you're here and you, don't, you realize, I'm not even born again. I have never been saved. You, ha- you need to be saved. Please don't leave here today without making that decision. If that's you, I would just ask something really simple. Will you just raise up your hand? I would love to lead you in a prayer of salvation if that's you, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus. Raise up your hand real high so I can see it. I see you back there. Amen. All right, so as we do here customarily, if you guys would just all pray along together for this one that's raised his hand. If you just repeat this prayer, you mean it in your heart, you will be saved according to what God's word says. So, dear Lord Jesus, would you please come into my life? Forgive me for my sins. I am tired of living living my life my way. I want to do it your way. Would you fill me with your Spirit that I might live a life pleasing to you? In Jesus' name, amen. And also this morning, if you're here and you're, you're struggling with something, please get prayer before you leave here. I'll be hanging out up here if you want me to pray for you. Find somebody else to pray for you. It doesn't take a pastor to pray for you. You find another Christian, they have the same connection to heaven that I do. So, we're not going to do an end song tonight, or tonight, this afternoon. It's a little weird to take this off the guitar back on and all that stuff. But you guys know the song, I Love You, Lord? Maybe we'll do an end song. You guys know the song, I Love You, Lord? We're going to sing it a cappella. Ready? I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you. O oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet Sweet sound in your ear. All right, God bless you guys. Have a good week.